garden centre. Anyone else been to Dobby's? Um, if you need a fix of Christmas kit, glow-in-the-dark, polar bear-type vibes, then Dobby's is the place to go. And we always, of course, have the debate about how big the tree's going to go. I won through this year, eight foot. Uh, we had to, yes, thank you. Um, we had to chop both the bottom and the top off um, in order for it to fit. And also I got home and realized it didn't actually fit in the Christmas tree stand that we've got. So I had to go straight back to Dobby's to get what was quite an expensive Christmas tree stand. Um, the cat got involved, Pippin. Uh, he was very confused. Why are we bringing an outdoor tree indoors? And he was very stressed and ended up chewing the tinsel. I think there's a, a photo of Pippin chewing the tinsel. So we're expecting sparkly poo. Um, well, Advent is this season in which we have this kind of growing sense of holy anticipation. A little bit like if you wake up really early before the sun breaks and there's this kind of moment of stillness and anticipation. And it's, it's a season in which as a church we, we watch, we wait, we, we prepare ourselves. It, it's a period of prayer. It's a period of personal prayer. And I'd really encourage you to be thinking, what's my kind of prayer rhythm um, over the next few weeks? So I just want to change it up in order that I can really kind of enter this season. And there's all sorts of amazing Advent devotionals I'm happy to signpost you to. Um, the Bible in One Year app or the Lectio 365 app on your phone will be tracking you into Advent. Um, but it's also a time in which we pray uh, outwards. We pray for other people. We pray with new passion for our city and for our world. And I suppose what we're doing when we pray in that outward way is we're praying, we're, we're articulating in prayer just this sense of longing that we have. A longing for God to be moving in power in, in people's lives, in the situations um, that we're looking at. And this morning, I, I just want to kind of uh, open up a, a few thoughts, really, about what's going on when we pray for other people in this way. We are just reaching the end of our evening alpha, and we, we had a really special moment in which, you know, we've been discussing all the big themes of faith. And then um, last week, we just said, well, would you like prayer? And we had this incredibly special moment in which um, it went from chit-chat to, oh, how can I really pray for you? Uh, how can I ask that God is working in, in your situation? And, and suddenly the relationship kind of goes that much deeper. You might experience that in the midweek groups when um, you know what's going on in other people's lives, but where you just gather around that person and, and deeply pray for them. I, I, I think it's one of the most precious, one of the most loving things that we can do for one another. And that's why at the end of every service, we just have this kind of high value on giving space to pray for one another. It might be something that you're not particularly comfortable doing, but I'm hoping that in this season of Advent, we're becoming just more and more kind of okay and natural with, with saying, Ashley, what's going on? Can I, can I pray for you? And the technical word for this sort of prayer 
is intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is literally coming to God on behalf of somebody else or on behalf of a situation or a group of of people. And in a moment, we're going to read, uh, I mean, one of my favorite intercessory prayers in the Bible. It's incredibly powerful and inspirational. And it's prayed by the prophet Isaiah. And actually, over the next three Sundays, uh, this morning, next Sunday evening at the carol service, and the following Sunday, um, we're going to be kind of diving into this um, book of uh, Isaiah and taking inspiration. But today, we're going to read from Isaiah uh, 64, and um, we're going to kind of read the first four verses and then read on a bit later. So if you've got a Bible, Isaiah 64, verse 1, and also the words are on the screen. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when the fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things, things that we did not expect. You came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. This is an incredible prayer. Isaiah prays, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And when the last time you prayed that sort of prayer, God, would you break out of heaven and intervene in this situation? And maybe you saw something on the news that just broke something in you. And and a prayer rose up within you. God, would you rend the heavens into this situation? Or maybe it was a personal situation of somebody close to you. And again, your heart just went out. Lord God, would you come down? We need breakthrough in this situation. And the word rend, it literally means to rip apart. It comes from the Hebrew word Korah. Uh, and elsewhere, it's used in the Old Testament for Um, clothing which has been torn in two. And so when Jacob uh, heard that his son Joseph, um, he he thought he had died, uh, we read that Jacob corrad his clothing. He ripped his clothing apart. And so in this prayer, uh, Isaiah is praying that God would literally break open the fabric of heaven tear heaven apart to intervene here on earth. Isaiah is praying, God, would you act decisively? Move from the realm of heaven into the realm of earth. We need your power. We need your intervention. And it's a prayer that's deeply rooted in this belief that we have a God who listens to our prayer, who hears our prayer, but also who acts on in response to the prayers that we uttered. 
So I just want to ask, well, how do we take some inspiration from Isaiah's prayer for when we are praying for other people or, or, or situations that we're facing? Well, firstly, this is an encouragement to intercede for situations which break your heart. Isaiah's prayer was born from heartbreak. Over the many decades that this book uh, was put together, Isaiah and um, his, his disciples, the people of God, they were facing all sorts of difficulties. This was a moment of incredible sort of national weakness for the people of God. At first, there was the threat from the, uh, the superpower at the time, the Assyrians, who had already overrun um, the uh, northern empire. They were sweeping through, and uh, the people of God were facing this incredible, almost existential threat from the Assyrians. And there was then this moment of incredible deliverance through Hezekiah. But then a number of generations later, uh, the Babylonian Empire, which had become the most powerful empire in the ancient Middle East, um, they uh, dragged off the people uh, of Israel into uh, exile in Babylonia. It was kind of like people trafficking on a massive scale, a moment of incredible crisis for the people of Israel. But then time went by and the Babylonian king Cyrus let them return to Israel. Another moment of incredible deliverance. But then you had the people, um, yes, they were returned home, but they were greatly weakened. They didn't have a king and um, they weren't able to, to kind of practice their faith uh, freely as they deeply desired. And they needed divine intervention from God. And so this prayer that arose that we read in Isaiah 64 is that God would again send his presence, that he would act decisively, that he would do something that humanly was going to be completely impossible and deliver the people of Israel. It's a prayer that comes from this place of, of heartbreak and of longing for change. And I wonder... This morning, what are the situations which just break your heart, in which you are longing for breakthrough, longing for change? Well, why don't you let these things uh, become the kind of fuel to send you into prayer this Advent season? That you would be praying, God, would you tear open the heavens for this situation? This is what my heart is longing for. So there's the first thing. Secondly, Isaiah's prayer inspires us to intercede, not from a place of personal strength, but from a place of total weakness and inadequacy. It's true that the prayer is incredibly confident, and yet Isaiah wasn't praying because of a sense of kind of spiritual arrogance or some sort of entitlement from God. And we're going to read on in verses 5 to 7. And again, the words are on the screen. The prayer goes on. 
You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? He goes on. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sin sweeps, uh, sweeps us away. This is a man who has an incredibly sober sense of his worthiness before God. He's not kind of tricking himself. He's saying, look, God, honestly, even on my best days, even when I feel like I'm doing well, it's like dirty rags before you. I've probably got mixed motives in everything that I'm doing. And therefore, I'm not coming to you in prayer because I'm in some sort of state of spiritual sortedness or worthiness. And no, it's the opposite. I'm coming from a place of total weakness. I don't know about you, but I personally find this really encouraging. Because sometimes we can think of the kind of ministry of intercession, of the intercessors of the church, as those who are on some sort of higher spiritual plane, that have some sort of authority which is far out of reach from me. But the truth is, we pray not because we are strong. We pray because we believe in a God who is strong. In prayer, we don't take ourselves seriously, really. But we take God incredibly seriously. And the problem is, we often get it the wrong way round. We take ourselves really seriously, but we don't take God nearly seriously enough. And so intercessory prayer often starts, just like Isaiah's prayer, uh, with confession, with coming clean to God. Here I am. This is where I'm at right now. I think sometimes in prayer we're sort of tempted to kind of put on a prayer voice or, or take on some sort of more spiritual version of ourselves persona. But the reality of prayer is just simply coming as you are and saying, God, you know everything, here I am. I come to you in frailty. The incredible truth is that we can come in confidence in prayer, not because of our own sortedness, but we bring ourselves to God because Christ has literally taken away our dirty rags, removed them from us, On the cross, every single one of your big and small sins has been fully atoned for. It has been removed from you. Christ does not register those things when you come to him. And so through Jesus kind of hanging onto his coattails, we come into the throne room, into the presence of Almighty God, confident in our prayers. That's the second thing. Thirdly, intercede on the basis of who God is and what he has done. 
This is what Isaiah does. Read with me verses 8 and 9. Yet you, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. Isaiah knew incredibly well his own weaknesses, but he also knew the weaknesses of the people. You read uh, what was going on at the time, and, and uh, the, the nation of Israel just kept seeking to form kind of alliances. It was completely understandable with these superpowers. And Isaiah, the prophet, was, uh, his word was constantly, no, 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 you have to remain faithful. Keep your trust in God, even if that feels crazy. And it's clear from Isaiah's prayer that he had complete confidence in God's strength. He says, you are our father. We're just like clay. You're the potter. And it sort of poses a question, well, why does Isaiah have such high levels of trust in God's strength? Well, it's because as Isaiah prays, what he does is he brings to mind all the ways that God has acted powerfully in the past. In verse 3, we read, you are the one who did awesome things, things that we didn't even expect you to do. And this language of the mountains trembling and twigs being set afire, it, what he's doing is he's casting his mind right back to what happened just after the Exodus, when the people of Israel were in Sinai, when Moses uh, climbed the mountain and God appeared in all his majesty and splendor and glory and the Ten Commandments were given. And this was the moment in which the nation of Israel constantly looked back to as a reminder. Oh my goodness, that was when God really did tear open the heavens. That was when God did act decisively and, and transform our situation from being this people in servitude uh, in Israel to having this promised land. And so in this new moment of weakness, of national disaster... Isaiah is one who's remembering. He's remembering back uh, to that time. And it's on that basis he's saying, God, you've done it in the past. We've seen you act in power so many times. And therefore, I believe that you can do it again. Will you rend the heavens and come? So whenever you pray, I find it helpful to just take a few moments to remind myself of to whom I'm praying. The one who is full of compassion, the one who is powerful, the one who loves to intervene into situations. And then finally, whenever you pray, pray in line with the promises of God. Pray in line with the plans uh, that God has. For we have a God who not only listens to our prayer and responds to our prayer, but we also have a God who speaks to us of his plans, of his will, of his promises. And so when we pray, 
we pray in line with what we know that God has promised, what he longs to see. And throughout Isaiah, we have promise after promise after promise of what's going to happen in future. And it's a little bit like um, a bottle of champagne. As as you read through uh, Isaiah, with every prophecy, the kind of tension builds. There's this kind of pregnant expectation about what's about to happen, waiting for God to act. Christ is born, the saviour of the world, the Messiah, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. It's the moment in which heaven is rendered open, in which God uh, comes in all of his power to liberate the people of Israel. And so we pray with an incredible confidence that God is always good to his promises. And so when we pray for people who are uh, suffering, we pray in line with the promise that God has said, I'm always with you. I'll never forsake you. And when we pray for those who are mourning or struggling, we pray in line with the promises that God uh, comforts those who are suffering. When we pray for our church, we pray in line with the promise that Christ said, I'm going to build my church. You don't need to worry about it. I am in control of this. And uh, when we look at a world that's so broken, when we see what's happening in Gaza and our hearts break, we pray in line with the promise that God said, I'm going to restore all things. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. I'm going to wipe every tear from their eyes. And this gives us this incredible sense of confidence and focus as we pray. And Christ came and when he rose again and ascended into heaven, we know that he is seated seated at the right hand of God. And we read in Hebrews that he is interceding for us, that we have a God um, who is constantly praying for our situation. And so we're not the starters. Whenever we pray in intercession, we're just joining in with what Christ is doing all of the time. And this becomes our kind of primary purpose in life. I suppose as a church and as individuals, we're all incredibly activists. I'm looking out at teachers and doctors and social workers and people that are in business and in all sorts of areas of life. And we're called to activism. But first and foremost, we are called as a people of God to be intercessors, those who are standing in the gap, those who are responding to the the situations that break our heart. And we're weak and we're frail, but we come before a God who is mighty to save. And so we come in great confidence in Jesus' name. God who is mighty to save. And so we come in great confidence in Jesus' name.